Um, I, I failed in my introduction to Aaron, failed to mention he, uh, he has been, um, like me, a lot of his years have been spent as a worship leader, and he's uh, also been a pastor and is now um, diving into the wonderful world of seminary in New York. So there's a little bit more about Aaron. You can talk to him afterwards if you have questions. But uh, again, this morning's going to look a little bit different. Uh, Aaron's going to come up in a few minutes to lead us in a practice. Uh, actually an old practice that has been at the church's disposal for a long time called the Prayer of Examine. But a lot of us who did not grow up in the Jesuit tradition are rediscovering some of the beauty of these practices. Uh, we've, been, we've been practicing some of these things in our community groups over this last year as summer has uh, been leading us in, in uh, providing some of these opportunities for us. So uh, we're going to do that together this morning. But before we do, we wanted to spend some time in a passage that's really going to set up this prayer of examine. It's a bit of an odd word, maybe, but there's this sense that we have to practice our faith in order to grow in our faith. Much like you practice an instrument or you practice uh, a sport, uh, as you practice our, uh, your faith, um, it creates opportunities for, for God to, to, to reach in and to, to form your heart, to shape you into a Christian, into a little Christ. When we were going through the Psalms, this is maybe two years ago, we did a sermon series on the Psalms of Ascent, and we, uh, we quoted St. Ambrose a number of times, who talked about the Psalms being a gymnasium for the soul. I don't know if you remember this, that the Psalms are a gymnasium for the soul. And the idea there is that as we pray the Psalms, as we practice prayer through the Psalms, that it's this... It's like our heart is going to the gym and we're working out and we're being shaped and formed through the practice of prayer, through trying these words on that are not our own. They're other people's words. They're David's words. They're Asaph and other people that wrote the Psalms. We're trying their words on, uh, but God is using that to shape and form us. Ultimately, to grow us into this new life in Christ that Christ offers us freely. So I'm excited that this morning we'll get to uh, do that together. But uh, we're going to read from 1 Kings. Um, this is an exciting, crazy passage. And uh, this is going to, I think, set us up well to, to pray together, to practice this, this prayer together. So this is from 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. I should probably stop here and give a little background, because uh, that's a crazy verse to start with. Uh, Elijah, a prophet of God, has just had this showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You might be familiar with this story. Um, he, he challenges them basically to a duel to see whose God is real. Is it Baal, or is it the God of the Israelites? And um, it's... It's one of, the, I, one of the things that I love is pointing out the humorous parts of Scripture. It's funny. It's crazy, and it's funny. So there's 450 prophets of Baal, and they prepare a sacrifice on an altar. And Elijah says, all right, pray to your God. We'll, we'll pray to our gods, and whichever one answers with fire and consumes the sacrifice, that is the God. This is God the Lord. Uh, so the, the prophets of Baal, they start performing their rituals, which involve cutting themselves, and it's, it's messy, and... And Elijah's just sitting back, and, um, and he starts mocking them. And, uh, and the NIV doesn't actually describe quite in great gory detail what Elijah says, but other translations do. One of the things he says, he's like, oh, maybe, maybe your God is traveling. 
maybe he's maybe he's uh, he's otherwise occupied. The otherwise occupied part, uh, there's reason to believe that really what Elijah says there is maybe your God's on the toilet. <laughs> Give him five to ten, and then he'll be ready and he'll come and answer. But so he just mocks them. Nothing happens. Elijah has his altar and his sacrifice doused with water so that it's filled up and overflowing the trough he's dug around it. And then he prays. And God answers with fire, consuming the sacrifice, consuming the water. Uh, and he, uh, he sends the Israelite army to chase down these prophets of these false prophets of Baal and kills them. That's the context here. Now Jezebel is the queen. She's kind of running things right now. Uh, she is not pleased by this. I'm going to start back over now that you've got the context. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Well, Elijah, understandably, was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down once more. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate, and he drank. Strengthened by that food, and it must have been incredible food, because he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass you by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Thank you for your word. Amen. My comments are going to be brief this morning so that we have time to uh, practice this prayer of examine. But uh, this 
this story is probably the quickest descent from a literal mountaintop experience to the depths of despair that has ever been recorded. Uh, I mean, if there was ever a moment that kind of proved God's power and presence, Elijah had experienced it, right? This fire descends, consumes the water and the offering, and then this threat from Jezebel sends him on this journey into the desert where he is... um, I mean, he's clinically depressed. <laughs> this, is, this is deep depression that, I, uh, that Elijah finds himself in. He's, he is low. And uh, I think the, all the encounters throughout this whole, uh, this whole section here, we see God's gentleness, God's grace with him, provides him with food, with water, which I think is, is one of the great <laughs> illustrations of just how whole we are as people, right, that... Sometimes, uh, sometimes what is needed for us when we are discouraged and low, uh, we need to pray, yes, uh, but sometimes what we need is sleep, food, and water. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah. Elijah rests. He's provided for food, and then he goes to this mountain, Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai. This is, there's a bunch of allusions in here that are meant to trigger for us a memory of Moses meeting God on the mountain, right? Elijah takes 40 days to travel uh, to this mountain to meet with God. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. There's all kinds of things that are meant to bring to mind these other moments when God has been present to his people, when God has showed up in a powerful way to his people. And, uh, and so Elijah's on his way. He's gone from one mountaintop experience to the depths of a despair, and then God's invited him to this other mountaintop experience. But it's completely unlike the other ones. It's completely unlike when Moses met with God. It's completely unlike when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and the fire descended and it was dramatic. Before all of the noise and the earthquake and the, and the still small voice, um, God asks Elijah a question. Elijah, what are you doing here? And he responds from this place of despair. And he, I mean, it, he's low. And what's interesting is the, many of the commentators on this passage will say, you know, Elijah's uh, representation of what was going on was n- not actually very accurate. <laughs> it was very much colored by how low he was, exper- uh, he was feeling. Um, but this was his experience. He was genuinely depressed and, and, and couldn't see beyond all of the negative things, even though he just had this incredible experience. All he could think of, all that was in his imagination and his mind, uh, was the threat from Jezebel, the sense of being isolated and alone. No one was left to follow God except for him. And after that, God gives him a gift. God shows up with grace. Uh, he doesn't rebuke him for his inaccurate view of, the, of reality. He, he just says, I'm going to show you myself. And it's different. It's different than when the Israelites were in the desert being led by a pillar of fire and a cloud. It's different than when Elijah was at Mount Carmel and God descended with flame. It is in this still, gentle, quiet voice. Some some translations actually have it as it's the sound of silence, which I don't know if that's where Simon and Garfunkel got the title, but it's that sense of just this soft, gentle voice, this gentle whisper. And then, 
Elijah and God have the exact same interaction that they had prior to this revelation. God asks him, what are you doing here? And he responds from this place of deep despair. And then God's response to him is essentially, get up. I have some work for you to do. Which, there's a lot that we could uh, unpack there. Uh, but that's, that's the scene. That's the setting. And I just think there's two things that I want us to, to meditate on as, as Aaron comes and leads us. Um, the first is this. I, I was trying to think of what's a comparable experience to this transition from Elijah's Mount Carmel, you know, fire descending experience to the depths of despair. And I think that there is a correlation to when we finally get that thing that we have always wanted, whether it's that job that we longed for, that we were really looking for, that promotion. Maybe it's a spouse that we'd always, we were hoping to get married and we got married and uh, maybe it's, we were hoping to have a child and now we have a child. Um, maybe it's just, uh, you know, you're saving money for something. Uh, maybe, maybe it's actually itself just a, an experience of God, a powerful experience of God. All of these things uh, that we long for, uh, perhaps one time we actually get them. They come to us. Uh, we receive this gift. And yet we find uh, that we are still the same. Or, or, or that the, the complete life transformation that we thought would be brought about by this new whatever, um, this, this profound experience, this gift, uh, hasn't, hasn't yet happened. And I think that part of what we see here in Elijah is, I mean, he, he got essentially everything, right? He had this incredible victory, and yet it left him unsatisfied, ultimately. And God comes to him, and God wants to engage him in a relationship. And that's the second thing I want us to think about is... Uh, the curious nature of the way that God interacts with Elijah by asking him a question, the same question, twice. I don't often think of uh, prayer as listening for a question that God might ask me. That, and yet here, God approaches Elijah, and he says, what are you doing here? Did God not know what Elijah was doing here? Well, no, no, a pretty good idea of what was going on. In but it shows me a God who desires relationship. God who desires to engage and to converse. And Elijah is, he is honest, right? His honesty is not accurate, but he is honest about where he's at. And I think that there's something for us there in a picture of, of what God desires as a God who wants a relationship with us, asks us questions, wants our honesty in return. I think we see this demonstrated most fully in Jesus Christ, in God taking on flesh. Jesus was notorious for, uh, for engaging people with questions. He, he asked a ton of questions in the gospel, and people would ask him questions, and then he would ask them a question back. And this is, just seems to be part of how God interacts with his people, to draw us out, to draw us to him, not to give us a list of rules to follow but to relate to us, to, to, to know us, and to reveal himself so that we might know him. And this, uh, this requires a certain amount of listening on our part. And I think that's what this exercise, this practice, is going to help us to do, uh, 
to develop listening ears. So Aaron, if you would come and lead us this morning. Thank you again. Do you need that stand? Okay. It's great to be with you guys. Um, thanks for having me. I am really honored to get to lead us into this practice this morning. This has been a truly life-changing practice for me. This is the examine. And I think what's so brilliant about it is because it names the reality that God is always speaking. God is always working in our lives. It's us who are selectively aware. And so this is one of those practices that just help us every day. It was created by St. Ignatius of Loyola. He was born uh, at at the end of the 15th century. And so Christians have been praying this way for a long, long time. And his insight was we have these experiences in life, like we just heard. We have these experiences, and once we're done with them, we're like, all right, on to the next thing. All right, that was great, on to the next thing. And we rarely stop and go back and say, what was God doing during that? What was God doing in that conversation with my kid that that took on this whole new life? What was God doing when that interaction with my coworker made me nearly throw him out the window. What, what was going on? We rarely stop and look back and notice God's fingerprints. So this is a practice that helps us do that. St. Ignatius said, if you could do this every day, take 15 minutes a day to look back over the last 24 hours and notice God's fingerprints. And so I'd love to uh, really, really quickly just teach you the five steps of the examine, and then we're going to jump in and do it together. So I think we have a daily practice to become aware of God's fingerprints in our everyday lives. And let's look at the five steps. Invitation, gratitude, review, listen, look forward. Invitation, we begin by saying, Spirit, would you guide this time? We don't need to invite the Holy Spirit to join us. God is already here. But there's something important about saying, God, this isn't just me figuring out what you're doing in my life. This is opening a conversation. So we begin by saying, please speak. Oh God, your servant is listening. Step two, we review the day in thanksgiving. And this was, this one has been such a challenge to me. Um, I, are you guys into the Enneagram? Is that a helpful language? Okay. I'm an Enneagram 4, uh, so like melancholy, cynical. I can always find what's wrong in any situation. Uh, I'm a real gift to be married to, so it's, it's great. But so when my spiritual director was teaching me this, um, he said, yeah, so you begin by, with gratitude, by finding everything that's good and beautiful. And at first I was like, you've got to be kidding me like rainbows and unicorns and all that. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Whatever you begin with in prayer is what you place at the center. When you show up with, God, my boss is an idiot and there's idiot. That may be true, but you are placing your idiot boss at the center of the universe. He is not the center of the universe. You know what's at the center? Abundance, grace, Goodness, God's grace is at the center. So we begin with what is most true, which is goodness. 
So step two is reviewing the day, looking back over the last 24 hours and noticing the beauty, noticing the goodness. Step three, we, began to be, we begin to become aware of the emotions that pop during this examine. If you look back over the last 24 hours with God, in God's presence, and just notice different emotions will pop. And I think the insight here is for many of us, especially if we've been in church a lot, we know the right answers. We know how we should think about things. We know how we should pray. But a lot of times our emotions will tell us the truth. And so when we uh, become aware of those emotions, we don't judge them. We're not like, oh, that was a bad one. That was a good one. We just say, God, what, what were you doing? Again, with this, my, my coworker just said this. But I responded like this. What's going on? What are, you, what are you doing in me? What do you want to do in me? So we begin to notice the emotions that are popping, which brings us to step four. And this is kind of the center of the examine. We, hopefully guided by the Spirit, choose one of those emotions. Often it's the one we really feel drawn toward. But I, I've had a couple times where I'm like, I'm going to choose the one I don't want to spend any time praying about. I'm scared of that emotion or whatever it is, but you feel drawn toward it. You choose one, and you just spend a moment telling God about it. Here's what happened. Here's what they said, and I responded this way, and I bring it to you, and then we stop talking, and we just listen. And this is so difficult, and it's so potentially beautiful. I've had times where God has spoken really clear, I've had many times where it's just kind of crickets. And if I'm honest with you, I don't know why. But either in either case, we pause to make space for God to say whatever God wants to say. And then step five, we look forward to the future in hope. What have we learned from doing this exam? And where did we see God's fingerprints over the last 24 hours that helps us be the kinds of people who can be more aligned with God as opposed to less? How does this, the last 24 hours, open our ears so we can continue to hear God's still, small voice? Five steps. We're going to jump in before we do any questions. Does that make sense? All right. I, yes? Great question. Um, uh, St. Ignatius suggested that we do it at the end of the day because then we can look over the day. He also said if you can do it in the middle of the day and at the end of the day, it gives you two moments to just, again, it's not convincing God to do stuff. God's already moving. It's creating the space for us to notice what God's been doing all along. So end of the day is probably my favorite time to do it. This morning, because we're doing it at the beginning of the day, I thought we would do an examine over yesterday over all of Saturday. Great question. So let's jump in together. Um, I'd invite you, if you could put both feet on the floor, and if you could sit sit up in your chair a little bit, but not rigid, but just uh, if you could sit up, and my spiritual director loves to say, Aaron, when you pray, say to God with your body what you're saying with your mind and with your heart. And so as we prepare for this examine, I want to give us just 30 seconds to breathe in and out a little bit.
and maybe it's just with your hands. Hold your hands in whatever way helps you say, God, I'm, I'm listening. God, I'm open. Please guide me. As you breathe, remember that you are already fully immersed in the presence of your loving maker. God is as close as the air we breathe. And so we begin in God's presence as we are always in God's presence with step one. And we invite God's spirit to lead these next few minutes. I want to give you just 15 or 20 seconds in your own words silently to say, God, please speak to me. Please guide my examine. Please lead my thoughts. Please lead my heart. Please guide this space. so guided by God's spirit, we move on to step two and we review the last 24 hours in gratitude. And so let's begin with yesterday morning, Saturday morning. How did you feel waking up yesterday? Did you hit the snooze five times? Did you, did you pop out of bed? How did you feel when your feet hit the floor? And just think back. What did you have for breakfast? How was the coffee? What did you notice? Did you have conversation with someone over breakfast? Did you eat alone? Did you read? What was going on in you yesterday as the day began? And where were the moments of goodness, of beauty, of abundance of blessing. So I'm going to give us about two minutes and just guided by the Spirit, just continue through the day. What did you do after breakfast? Where did you go? Who are you with? Where was the goodness? What are you grateful for yesterday, late morning? Holy Spirit, would you guide us in these next couple minutes as we hold our day before you, as we look for the goodness and blessing? Would you guide our thoughts? Would you guide our hearts? We commit this step to you.
And as you continue, be paying attention, especially to the emotions that pop as you review the day. Um, whatever's strong, the, the, the moments of gratitude, the moments of anger, the moments of disappointment, the moments of loneliness, the moments of, uh, of laughter, pay attention. Don't judge them as good or bad, but just notice them. Let God speak through them. And let's continue this review of yesterday. Let's move on to step four. Is there one emotion that you keep feeling drawn back to? Maybe it's a positive emotion, something you want to savor. Maybe it's a difficult emotion that you know there's something underneath it. I just want to give you a moment, again, guided by God's Spirit, to picture that emotion. And then would you take 30 seconds to tell God about it? Don't hold anything back. God already knows. God can take it. Would you pour your heart out to God as a friend talks to a friend and tell God why you feel the way you do about this moment or situation or relationship. And we will continue to gather. Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Would you receive us as we pour out our hearts to you in this moment? you've poured out your heart to God, I want to invite you to just listen, to make space for God to respond in any way that God wants to respond. What might God want to say in response to what you've just shared? I'm going to give us one minute of silence, which is going to feel like a long time. 
but just let us together in God's presence hold this space open. God may say something clear. God may not. Holy Spirit, we are open to anything and everything you want to do and say to us in this moment. Please speak. Your servants are listening. finally step five we look forward to the future in hope what have you noticed in these last few minutes in what ways did you engage God yesterday that opens you up to engage God again today look forward to this afternoon who will you be with? Lying with God. How do you want to stay open to listen to God? What are the virtues you need? What are you asking for? In a moment, we're going to sing this great hymn, Be Thou My Vision. So I'll invite the band to come up and begin. But as we prepare to sing this song, to say, God, would you lead me? Would you guide me into your future with you? Can we just take this space again to open ourselves up and hold our entire lives, past, present, and future, in the presence of the one who loves us and is leading us forward? Holy Spirit, please guide us now as we pray and respond in song.